if you have a friend or if you have someone that you trust and you talk about like, oh yeah, this is what I tried, this is what works for me. Um, that's part of it. And, and that helps reduce stigma. It's not being afraid to have those conversations. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Please Hustle Responsibly podcast. This podcast is a brainchild of Christina Veltri, Matt Cole, and Christina Magro. We use this podcast to talk to advocates around the United States to give tools and tricks to better advocate for yourself with and outside of the food and beverage industry. Today, we are talking to Dr. Troy, which is very exciting. It is May and that means it's Mental Health Awareness Month, but for us at support staff, that feels like every day. So we are using May um, to help destigmatize the notions around cannabis, just very similar to mental health care. Um, so we're having different guests for the month of May on to talk about alternative forms of treatment. But before we get into that, um, I would like to check in with Christina Veltri. Christina, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Um, just, you know, ready for summer, getting back into the swing of working full time and trying to maintain that work-life balance that we've been focusing on for the last year. Uh, Dr. Troy, how, you do- how are you doing? I'm I'm well today. Thanks for asking. I just got back from vacation, so I am like, do I want to get back to real life yet? <laughs> That's always the hard part about coming back, getting back to real life. Where did you go on vacation? Uh, my husband and I went to Maui, so yeah. It was that sounds wonderful. so nice. It was, it was, it was much, much needed. yeah the sunshine does amazing things you know it was about like 80 degrees in Chicago yesterday and I feel like that was a game changer just to get outside feel some vitamin D so Mm -hmm. it was nice and then there's today where it's cloudy and gloomy but you can't appreciate the sunshine without the rain so there you go I think that's it's a very good analogy Dr. Troy, I think we're going to jump right into things. So today we're talking to Dr. Troy. And before we get into the nitty gritty, do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I'm Dr. Troy. I am originally from Baltimore, Maryland. I um, currently am in Chicago. I came to Chicago in 2012 for residency. Prior to that, um, I, like I said, I grew up in Baltimore. I went to boarding school in Baltimore. So that was a um, pretty unique experience in all girls boarding school that I really enjoyed. Um, gave me a lot of tools and insight and just opened my eyes to different worlds being from the inner city of Baltimore. And then um, I went to college in New Orleans. I went to Xavier University of Louisiana. So had a lot of fun and partied a lot in New Orleans. Thus, I went to a Caribbean medical school instead of going the traditional routes of medical school in the States. 
But um, I went to school in Antigua, which, you know, I always tell people if you have to be stressed out and, you know, feel like a terrible time in school, then it's best to do it in a sunny climate with beach and 365 days of sun of sunshine. So that was awesome. And then after doing med school in Antigua, I came to uh, Chicago, like I said, in 2012, and I did my residency at uh, Cook County Hospital. And so I was there, I was in the primary care program because I really wanted to be able to focus on um, underserved populations, people that were on the margins, um, didn't necessarily like going to the doctor or um, just didn't have the time or the resources to be as um, invested in their own healthcare and understanding with um, a per- person like myself, because I feel like I'm pretty down to earth that, you know, they would they would feel comfortable. So that was my goal. Um, I got married in 2013 to my husband. I've known him since I was like five years old. So that was fun. Um, so he's been my support system throughout this entire process. Um, when I graduated in 2015 from residency and then I started working like in the real world as what everybody would consider a real doctor, um, working in primary care for a pretty big um, organization in the Chicago land. Now they've taken over all of Illinois, um, but it wasn't a good fit for me. And so my mental health really suffered at that company. Uh, at the time, I did not know that I was depressed or had anxiety, uh, but I had a pretty um, intense breakdown and um just like a panic attack one day at work. And it really, you know, allowed me to focus in on what was important to me and realizing that, you know, I got a therapist and she's like, you're killing yourself for this job. And what's for what, you know, are they doing anything to help you? And so um, it really helped me shift my focus. And I know we didn't really ask this, but like, that's how I got into cannabis because I started consuming cannabis around that same time because it made me feel like myself. It helped me start to do the things that I enjoyed again. And it was a, um, it was a good bridge for me to really focus back on me instead of what I felt like everyone else wanted for me to do. So I left there in 2018. And since then I have um, been working in cannabis. And I also, as my nine to five that pays the bills, work in um, nursing homes. So that's um, tough, but also joyous because I get to help people still who are marginalized in a, in a way who don't have access to as much, but they, um, I know that they're receiving quality care from myself. So that's my journey. Oh, and I have a dog, a little Charlie dog. <laughs> what kind of dog? He is um, a Bichon and Poodle mix. So he's adorable. Yes, he's 13 though, but he's getting, he's getting old. So I wanted to touch on something you said when you were going through that in your previous job, and Mm -hmm. then you started using cannabis in that time. Did somebody recommend cannabis to you or how did you find that outlet? Uh, My husband, he, my husband was in, 
grad school at the time. So he was getting his master's and he had a friend who was actually a medical cannabis patient. Um, And so by meeting that person, I started um, finding out about medical cannabis and, you know, how things go. You just try things. People have stuff, you try it. Because I didn't know, uh, I'm not buying nothing off the street. I'm like, not that girl. <laughs> that is not my ministry. Um, they was like, Yeah, no. I, I, I just, I'm like the, the square who's like, wait, what? How much does this cost? What? So, um, so I got it from a friend who was a medical patient at the time. And then I started having patients come into the clinic asking about it. And so I was like, wait, what's going on here? So let me, I started doing my own research. And from that, I was able to, um, because I was always interested in mental health. And as a primary care doctor, um, I just kind of self-treated a, a little bit uh, and figured out what regimen worked best for me. So what, when you're going in and specializing in cannabis treatments, like what do those treatments look like? Yeah. So it really, for me, it depends on the condition that the person is trying to alleviate. alleviate. So um, for example, in Illinois, um, all all states are different, but in Illinois specifically, which is what I'm familiar with, is um, there's about 40 or 45 medical conditions that are qualifying diagnoses. So if you have one of these 45 conditions, then you qualify to get a medical cannabis card, um, which is like kind of think of it like a prescription card for cannabis when you go to the dispensary. Uh, Now that Illinois is legal for adult use, so pretty much any adult over the age of 21 can go into the dispensary. It's a little bit different. But um, for example, persons with migraines, Um, So let's say somebody has a lot of stress, they often get migraines or just migraines are hereditary. I will, I've learned over time and just through research that incorporating CBD and THC products into a regimen, um, like whether it be daily or just a couple of times a week, um, really helps reduce migraines. So people have, my patients have been able to come off of migraine medication. Um, and some people have not had migraines in like six, six or eight months, just based off of the treatments that, um, or the regimen that I recommended for them. Um, for us, like PTSD is a diagnosis, um, which a lot of people don't necessarily know that they have the signs or symptoms of PTSD. And, you know, I'm not a psychiatrist or a therapist in any way, but the way that I think about PTSD is um, because my doctor, I mean, my therapist told me that I suffer from PTSD and I was like, what? She's like, yeah, girl, your job traumatized you. And I was like, you're right. Every time I start, like certain things start to happen, I'll start freaking out. And um, if I feel like for, I'll give an example. Like when I, when I started my new job, a few years ago, I was struggling to sort of keep up because it was very new for me. And I pretty much shut down. Like I just stopped working after a while. And I was like, I just can't work anymore. And so when I was talking to my therapist, she, she was saying that that is my PTSD response is to shut down, like overwork, 
get stressed out and then completely shut down because I was so anxious that I was going to have a similar experience as my previous job. And so um, it doesn't always have to look like it does in the movies. And a lot of times it doesn't look, PTSD does not look like it looks in the movies where, you know, fireworks go off and you're crawling under the bed or freaking out or seeing items. It's a visceral or a emotional response to a situation that you've experienced in the past that has caused trauma, whether it's known or unknown, emotional, physical. Um, And a lot of people experience that. And I think people who come to me and don't know that they have PTSD, one of the first questions I ask is, do you have depression? And they'll say, yes. I'm like, do you have anxiety? They say, yes. And I'm like, well, you probably have PTSD because you're responding in in different ways to certain instances. Um, And so my process for PTSD treatment or people with anxiety and depression is um, using cannabis in very small doses. So low dose cannabis, like under five milligrams can be what I call the happy pill treatment or like your, your, um, yeah, I call it like your happy pill. Um, but very low dose cannabis can, can really provide a sense of relief and people just feel like they can breathe and you're able to go through and live your life on a, like, and feel like your normal self, which is what most people really want to do. So if I'm listening um, to this and I am dealing with some mental health challenges, like what are my options when I'm trying to seek this type of treatment? Where do I start? People start a variety of different ways. So I'll talk about maybe how people sort of find me. Mm-hmm. Um, so people find me through a dispensary. So if they're already consuming in an adult adult use manner. So what we, what people call recreationally, which a lot of times is not necessarily recreational. They just haven't had a prescriber diagnose them with something that qualifies them. But a lot of people just want to relax when they get home from work and to use cannabis as a means to do that instead of alcohol or other substances. So um, a lot of people find me from the dispensary because dispensaries will have a list of doctors that are like cannabis friendly doctors. Um, Or if a person talks to their therapist or their psychiatrist, that can be another way to find out about cannabis and healthy ways of consuming because you don't want to replace, you know, or try to suppress trauma or issues by consuming a substance. Um, So that's one way. And talking to a primary care doctor by um, having... The conversation about what's going on. Um, unfortunately, some primary care, a lot of primary care providers are not so keen on cannabis. And so that's how people end up coming to me. So what, like whether it be word of mouth or they go to the dispensary and ask, um, but ideally it would come from a provider that you're already see, seeing and then um, sort of circle back to me if they're not being helpful. Why do you think primary care physicians um, don't like to recommend cannabis? We don't really learn about it because I was that primary care doctor. I had two or three people, patients who came to me and said they wanted to try it. Um, A woman had multiple sclerosis, qualified. She had pain. She was 
had a lot of spasticity, meaning that she was like, her muscles were really tense and she, she could, had difficulty walking. Um, but I said no, because I didn't know enough about it. And I didn't want to feel like I was a drug dealer. Um, when, with the opioid crisis, it made a lot of providers afraid of doing something outside of, or giving a, a substance or prescribing a substance, air quotes, um, that could potentially be abuse causing, which cannabis is not. But we don't know that because you hear about, you learn from the war on drugs in medical school, they teach us cannabis is a drug or marijuana is a drug. Don't use it. It has no medicinal value. And so that's what you learn. And that's the end of it. You don't get anything further. And then with research, because it is still federally illegal, you can't, there really isn't research. You can't do research that says that has a positive outcome. You have to look at what the negative outcome is. You have to like start from a negative perspective. And if the negative doesn't happen, then it's like, oh, well, this negative thing didn't happen, but we can't say that it's a good thing. So it's, it's yeah, it's very backwards, but unfortunately, um, this is America, so. So are these treatments, if I'm coming to see you because mm -hmm. I've gone to my primary care physician and maybe they put me on like a bunch of uh, medication that is just not really working for me, or maybe I just don't feel like myself. So I'm trying yeah. to seek other options and I come to you. Are these treatments available for the uninsured or do you have to have either one, a medical card to come and see you or two, health insurance? So for me, I, my services are fee for service. So I don't, I don't, I don't accept insurance just because of the bureaucracy and all the hoops that you have to jump through in order to do that. And as a self, I'm a solo practitioner. It's just me. I am everything for that business. Um, so I charge a flat rate um, with discounts here and there, depending on people's financial circumstances. So people just find me, schedule an appointment online. And once they come to see me is when they're able to get the medical card. So, um, with the medical cannabis card you get in Illinois and with most, most other States, it's a, like when you go to the dispensary, the fees are reduced. You have usually a larger allotment that you can get um, from the dispensary in Illinois, one of the good things is that you can grow at home, um, which a lot of people do is to be able to grow their own medicine, which is um, really nice. I don't know how to do it, but if people have a green thumb, then that's awesome. Um, so yeah, so I don't accept insurance. So it is available totally for the un uninsured and underinsured. Um, I do, because I am fee-for-service, and um, charge a flat rate. I do like to have people, if possible, talk to their primary first because it's covered under your insurance if they have insurance. So just talk to your primary, see if they agree. And if not, then kind of move on to me otherwise because it's an out-of-pocket cost and it's not necessarily, um, it's not inexpensive. I am, I cost money, honey. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you know your worth, but also you're like, 
looking out for people and you're like, you can talk to this person first. And if they don't give you the answer that you want, come back to me. (laughs) Yeah. It took a while for me to get to that though. Um, I was not comfortable charging my fee, which is, it's not, I don't think it's a lot now. Um, I I charged $200 total, um, for, for a visit, um, which, you know, is, I got my, the other day I had to go to the doctor and do a virtual visit and it cost $350. And he literally talked about my ear itching. So, um, you know, I give people 30, 40 minutes of dedicated time. You get a regimen, you get follow-ups. Um, so I really, I know that I know now that what I'm giving is well worth the, the, the price uh, but it did take me a while to to be comfortable. Like even just saying the number out loud, I was like, eh. uh, it made me a little bit uncomfortable. But um, I think I know the services that I'm providing are truly, truly helping people and guiding them in a way that if they go to someone else, they are not going to get the same quality that I'm providing. So, so what do you do as a provider to? help remove this stigma around cannabis. Like I'm just trying to think of my mom, for example. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who I think being like a little Italian woman who worries about everything, she would really benefit from cannabis, CBD usage. And Mm -hmm. but you just can't get past like the the stigma around. Mm -hmm. So how do you help with people like that, how do you, what, what tools do you use to kind of convince them that that's all bullshit pretty much? It does take time. It takes time. Um, and I, there's a couple different ways to approach it. Um, so like for your mom, it, I would approach it from really a CBD aspect and starting out with CBD And, um, so like I started my own CBD line because I know that there are people who are adverse to trying THC and CBD does have benefits. Um, so it would be a situation where taking gummies or, um, drops under the tongue of straight CBD and helping her or, um, you know, whomever realize that it helps. It may, it may be, you know, being able to get a full night's rest or taking the medication, the CBD in the morning and not feeling as overwhelmed about the day-to-day tasks, um, which is just something that a lot of moms (laughs) do anyway, especially once they get to a certain age and point in life. Um, so that's one way that I approach people who are uncomfortable about cannabis still can't really wrap their head around the medicinal benefits or if they do know it, they're like, Oh, that's not for me. That's not for me. I I don't do that. I don't want to touch any parts of that. So CBD would be my first, um, go-to. And then from there, some people, that's how people find me as well is that they've tried CBD and it worked for a short period of time and they understood the benefits. And then people will say, well, CBD worked. And then now it's not working as well. So I think I need to try something a little bit um, more potent or something a little bit different. And that's where the THC comes in. And I help to guide how much THC to take, what 
the best route is. Um, and I think a lot of people now, now because of the dispensaries and the amount of um, big companies that are involved in cannabis, you have so many different routes or options for consumption that it doesn't just have to be smoking a joint or um, a t- you know tobacco wrapper under a tree or in your backyard and everybody knows your business. You can take tincture, which is a liquid that goes under the tongue. You can have oil where you put a few drops of oil on your food before you eat dinner. Edibles or gummies or they have tablets. Like I'm just looking at my desk of all the little things that I have sprinkled around. (laughs) So there's so many different options. And it seems like every year companies um, are coming up with new and innovative ways to have people be able to consume. There's drinks, there's beverages, um, there's products that you can put in water. Um, there's packets that look like the, um, what's those things like crystal light packet type things that you can just dump in a beverage, be very discreet. Um, and they come in low doses where you don't have to feel that, you know, if you consume, um, you're just going to be stoned or intoxicated out of your mind because that's a a lot of people's concern as well, that they want to be functioning adults while having a a good life experience. And that is what um, cannabis has been able to provide for a lot of people. That's incredible. And not only mentally, but how does cannabis help folks physically? Physical pain is a huge um, reason why people see me. Um, And I think aside from like the pain aspect, just being a motivator of like people wanting to get up and do things, it's helpful. I know pain, pain is huge for a lot of people. And even um, another way to get cannabis or CBD, even in the THC or CBD in the system is from topical agents. So they have muscle rubs, they have salves, and that would be a way for like a person like your mom uh, to be able to do something because if she's a, a little older Italian lady. She probably still cleans, still cooks, still does all these things, trying to get down on the floor. I'm like, sounds like my mama getting on the floor, trying to scrub what work. And mom, you cannot do that. You're old now. You can't do it. (laughs) So using a a rub um, is a really good way for a person to experience the benefits of cannabis, but it doesn't get into the bloodstream, which is really nice. So you don't have the intoxication aspect. So there's, um, there's so much, there's so much available nowadays. It's, it's really amazing. Um, but I think the physical part, if we're not talking about pain or, or like a specific injury, um, kind of comes along with once that consuming cannabis with that mental health aspect of feeling better, getting back to your normal people want to exercise again, they want to get up and go take a walk around the block or, you know, get up and cook and do the things that make them happy. And it just leads to an overall more productive life and just, yeah. So earlier you were talking about like a patient that had multiple sclerosis and like being hesitant to treating them with cannabis just because of the lack of knowledge. Mm -hmm. But we also touched very briefly on the opioid 
epidemic. So like, Mm -hmm. is that what would typically be prescribed for a person dealing with pain? And if so, like, I think that we know (laughs) the results, but can we discuss like the pros and cons of the two and how like THC can be an alternative for a highly addictive substance that is, you know, ravaging people's lives. Yeah. Um, I was pretty conservative with, that was an awesome question. I, I was pretty conservative with my opioid, um, like scripts, prescriptions that I would give people, but 100%, I'm pretty sure I gave her a refill of whatever she was taking and said, here, here's your tramadol, um, or your Norco and here's your 60 tabs and I'll see you next month. Um, which and I'm in no way saying like you were like, no, 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 no. I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't think that, but it is, yeah. a, it is a very common practice that people I've had patients who have said, um, they went and talked about cannabis and said, you know, I don't want to really want to use this anymore. I don't really want to use the opioids anymore. Can we try cannabis as an alternative? Um, and the doctor said, no, here's your script. So it is something that happens pretty commonly. And Illinois, um, I don't remember which year it came out, but they started the opioid alternative program, which is a lower cost. Um, way to obtain a medical card for, you know, 90 day intervals where people can um, have access to cannabis as an alternative measure for, um, for pain. And so opioids, um, highly addictive, you know, within five days, if a person is taking opioids consistently for five days, a person can become dependent. And that's one thing that um, unfortunately, providers don't disclose. They assume that people know, or I don't know. I don't know what they assume, but um, it has to be the assumption that a person knows that they can become addicted very quickly, um, which is not common knowledge. Like a person thinks that if it's prescribed by a doctor, it's going to be safe. If the pharmacy is giving it to me, it must be safe. And if you prescribe me 60 tablets, then it can't be so bad. If I'm, if I can become dependent in five days, then why would you give me 30 or 60 days worth? Like it's counterintuitive, um, but it still happens all the time. So um, it, it definitely, even it's not as, well, at least I'm not in the space where I see it being as bad as it was, say, four or five years ago with the opioids. But um, it, it definitely caused a lot of pain for a lot of people um, just from being started on pain pills after even just like getting a tooth removed. The next thing you know, they're popping pills because it numbed whatever depression or trauma issues they had in the past it it took those thoughts away it took that pain away um and then they become addicted to it and start abusing it whereas with cannabis um people can become dependent on cannabis you can have oh you, you can't really have withdrawals from cannabis but there are symptoms that can happen 
if a person consumes too much cannabis. So there is a such thing as overconsumption. And I want to say that because people do have to consume responsibly. Um, Just like with anything, you can have too much water, you can eat too much food, even though we need those things to sustain us. There's such thing as excess. And the same thing can happen with cannabis. So I want um, listeners to understand that. But not in any way, shape or form will a person become dependent on cannabis after a few days. It takes months to build tolerance. Um, One of the things that people have to be cautious with or aware of when it comes to cannabis and pain is that usually um, the relationship is you need a higher THC concentration for pain relief um, versus for something like anxiety, it's a very low THC concentration. So, um, so that can be difficult for some people because you do have to sometimes consume more or at a higher dosage in order to get that pain relief. But understanding that the method in which you consume, um, and the frequency that's all gonna relate to how often, you know, someone takes in the cannabis, but in no way is it as um, detrimental to the community or, you know, life as someone who's taking five, six Vicodin a day um, versus somebody who smokes five or six times a day. You can't, I, I don't think you can compare the two. There are some people who, um, and I have encountered patients who I feel overconsume, um, and I had to have that conversation with them and say, "Hey, like, what's going on with your mental health? What are you, are you suppressing something? Are there things that, for every, you know, you just sitting there? It's like people who have a um, addiction to food or that smoke cigarettes. That like, is it the oral?" fixation like what is it that's causing you to consume as much as you are because you can't you can't go to work like this like and if you do you can't function properly and nobody wants you to you know lose your livelihood um it's expensive uh in the dispensaries and then you have to think about what people can obtain from the traditional market or the underground market where if, you know, like a few years ago, they had the situation with the, um, the vape pens that were not safe. People were getting sick because people were having black market pens where they were putting vitamin E oil as the carrier, which is not something that can be inhaled. So there's things that you still have to pay attention to um, on the underground market as a responsible consumer and just knowing who your person is, who you're getting things from. Um, and being smart about consumption, just like you would with anything else, the food you put in your mouth, the water you drink, you're not going to drink water off the, from the gutter. So don't, you know, like get yeah. something from some rando walking down the street. And if you are, you know, there's the a risk problem or a change and it needs to be addressed. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So on that note, what does the future of cannabis and alternative medicine look like to you? Where do you think we're going? 
there's so many different paths. It's kind of like a web that's like branching out or a tree or something that has a lot of branches. <laughs> um, for me, with cannabis, it looks like, you know, um, I talk a lot when I, if I give talks or on education about cannabis to people about really coming out of the closet with cannabis consumption and having people understand that there is nothing wrong with consuming. Um, just like people are not afraid to talk about going to have a cocktail. People are not afraid to talk about, you know, how they're about to step outside and have a smoke. Like it, it shouldn't be any stigma about cannabis consumption as long as you're consuming responsibly. Um, so for me, that's one of the first steps is people not being afraid. Of course, you know, you don't need to spread your business. You're not going to be at work talking about, oh, I'm about to have a drink in my office. You know, that's not smart. So you don't want to do the same thing with cannabis. But if you have a friend or if you have someone that you trust and you talk about it, like, oh, yeah, this is what I tried. This is what works for me. Um, that's part of it. And, and that helps reduce stigma. It's not being afraid to have those conversations. Um, also I think having more providers, which is a big part is having providers be comfortable with understanding the endocannabinoid system, which I'm really still getting to understand, um, because science is huge and our bodies have a system just like the nervous system the, you know, digestive system, our endocrine system, the endocannabinoid system is a system in our body that has cannabis receptors. So when we consume cannabis, it knows exactly where to go. The cannabis knows exactly which spots to go to, to fix whatever issue is, is causing um, us problems at the time. And there are cannabinoids in chocolate um, which a lot of people don't know. And so that's why like if people are craving, especially dark chocolate and that it gives you that like, oh, like, oh, this was so good relief. And it's because it's hitting some of those cannabinoid receptors. So um, it's in a lot of different items that we consume on a daily basis and without knowledge. But when it comes to CBD or THC, it's like, oh, no, no, no. But not that kind. Not We're not talking about that kind versus, you know, um, somebody will take something man-made that, and nothing against medications or, you know, we have serotonin receptors and when people are depressed, they need to take medic. Some, some people need to take medication that boosts those serotonin levels, but it's artificial. It's made in a lab. It's not produced by your body. And so, um, People don't have problems taking that. Well, they do. Some people do. But people are more apt and open to taking medication in that way, but won't take something that has CBD or THC in it, which operates in the same way. Um, so I think having providers um, and even the public understanding that you have this system in your body, you were made to consume this. And when you and when we get that system back into balance. So many things are, you know, put back into the, well, I said balance. I'm going to say balance twice. Like once you start consuming the cannabis and get your endocannabinoid system in check, 
you you've come into a balance or homeostasis. It's very it's un it's an unknown aspect of the cannabis um, process, but that's really what helps so many people. And so having providers understand that, understanding that system, and having it being taught, just like we teach about any other um, system in the body, is going to be a big um, a big game changer from my point of view because people will understand why it why it's helpful in what ways you can consume to make it more beneficial um, and not just having it be um, drugs or bad. Well, Dr. Choi, I just wanted to say thank you so much for taking time out of your day to spend it with us and share all of, of your insights today. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much. I, um, I hope that the listeners really got some good info out of it and really understanding that um, using cannabis for mental health is okay. There's nothing wrong with doing it. Um, understanding, I tell all my patients to have a journal and really know what they're consuming, how they feel when they're consuming it or afterwards, and also using that as a guide for future consumption. Because one day you may want to use inhalation method, you may need quick relief, and you just need to take a puff, and that's okay. And another day, you may need something a little bit more chill. So you take a, a low-dose edible or edible um, and just kind of float through the rest of your day or on your weekend or on your off time. And, and even, you know, honestly, consumption for work is sometimes needed to be able to get through. Like people take anxiety medication to get through their day. Why is it that you cannot take a low-dose um, THC, or a lot of times I tell people to use something with both CBD and THC in those um, instances. So it's it's really about reducing the stigma and understanding within yourself what works for you and keeps you going and giving yourself the permission to say, this is helping me and I'm going to continue to consume responsibly um, in whatever way that I need to. That's such great advice. And for everyone listening, if you want any additional um, information or questions, please feel free to email us at info at policehustleresponsibly.org and we will get that information over to Dr. Choi or get your questions answered. Um, and we just want to say thank you for tuning in today. And as always, please remember to please hustle responsibly.